It is always a, a real joy to be here with you at Oldham Lane. I appreciate all of the good work that's going on here, your wonderful ministry staff, uh, tremendous elders, and it's always a blessing to uh, take a Wednesday out of my summer each year to be here with you. Now, it didn't happen last summer, and I don't know if you heard that story, but I was on my way here, and I was running a little bit late. I got caught up in the office at Faith Village, and I was... I don't know if you have police officers here, but confession, I was speeding a little bit. And uh, I got to the town of Gory, Texas. I don't know if you know where Gory is. Um, it's a suburb of Monday, Texas, which would be the, the next largest town. And I'm coming into Gory, and my truck just overheats. I mean, smoke comes up from the engine, and I call Chris. And, of course, he's not here because whenever I come, he leaves. And... Uh, said, I got a problem, and Jake got on the computer, and he said, well, you're, you're 87 miles away from the church building, and I, I think I can get there in time to get you back to speak, and I said, well, I'll just have to come back next year. So when I was driving through Gory today, I have to admit, my uh, blood pressure got up a little bit and was hoping that uh, my truck, same truck I'm driving tonight, wouldn't have any problems, but it didn't, and it's a blessing to be back with you talking about one of my favorite topics that we can discuss. I think your theme this year, uh, one, and focusing all, on all of these different one virtues and one truths that we find in Scripture is fantastic. And uh, Chris gave me a topic that can get preachers into a lot of trouble. I don't know if he gave me that topic because I stood him up last year, but uh, I'll get him back next time he comes to Faith Village. But I don't think we need to be afraid of this topic. In fact, it's one of the most crucial topics for us as God's people to really try to understand and, and dig our fingers into and wrap our minds around because this is our greatest connection to God, the Holy Spirit. If you remember when Jesus is about to leave and go back to heaven, the apostles say, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. And Jesus says... Uh, I got to go, but you need to understand it's actually better for you if I do leave because someone else is going to come and he's going to take my place and he's going to be exactly what you need until you go to heaven. And it's going to be he, the Holy Spirit. Now, what people usually do when it comes to this topic is they find themselves as in one of two groups. And if you're honest with yourself, you may be in one of these two groups. You're either in the group who says, I want to know as much about the Holy Spirit as I possibly can. And so I'm going to read every book and I'm going to listen to every sermon and I'm going to join every podcast because I want to understand this. Or you're in the group who says... We'll never understand this topic, so let's not even try. Who cares? Very few people, if any people, find themselves in the middle between I want to know as much as I possibly can and I don't want to study this at all. I was talking to a, a preacher friend a couple years ago, they were interviewing a, a youth minister applicant to come and be the youth minister at their church, and he sat in on the interview and it was the part of the interview where they got the doctrinal questions and uh, one of the elders asked this young youth ministry applicant, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? And this young man said, 
I really like him. I really like him. And the elders said, well, we do too. We're not against him. You know, we're for him. But what else you got? Other than I really like him. And he didn't have much. And so the elders made what I think is a good choice and said, if you're going to be the young man teaching our young people about God and, and the Lord and how we stay connected to God, we probably need to keep looking if all you know about the precious Holy Spirit of God is that you really like Him. But unfortunately, I think many people in our congregations... If push came to shove, if they were nailed down to the carpet and you asked them, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? What do you think about the Holy Spirit? They couldn't tell you much more than that other than, I really like him. We don't have to be afraid of this topic. Now, there are some things we need to understand from the beginning. First of all, he is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. He's God. He's part of the Godhead. And so since He is God, we need to admit right away that there are some things about Him we'll never understand. Do you understand everything about God? I don't understand everything about my wife. There's no way I'll ever understand everything about God, so there's no way that I'll ever understand everything about the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. And throughout the years in the Lord's church, we've had different groups take different positions all over the theological map. Some people say that the only time we interact with the Holy Spirit is when we open up the Word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's pretty much all of our interaction with Him is just what we read in the pages of Scripture. Then, then there are those who take it one step further and they say, well, we can't disagree with that at all. Yeah, every time we open, open the, the Bible, we interact with the Holy Spirit, but He's more than just words on a page. He dwells within us. He lives within us. He's with us every day. He knows what we think. He knows what we feel. And there are many passages that I think would speak to that truth. Acts 2.38, Acts 5.32, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Romans 8.9-11. A lot of passages would lead us into that line of thinking. And then there's the group on the far left, which I hate terms, but let's just call it what it is. They're the more progressive group, and, and they would say, well, yes, we interact with the Holy Spirit when we read the Word of God, and yes, He does live in us, but He does more than just live in us. He, he causes us to do some pretty miraculous things. Some people may even be able to speak in tongues or, or prophesy in a supernatural way or may even be able to perform miracles if they have the Holy Spirit in their life. I can't go there. And if, if that's where you are tonight, talk with Chris about it. <laughs> it's only fair. And, and I can't go here either. 
In the same way I say we don't do these miraculous things, I can't say the only time we interact with He, the Holy Spirit, is when we read the Word of God. I like to live right here in the middle. But I'm not here tonight to try to get you to pick where you want to, to place your tent when it comes to the Holy Spirit's involvement in your life. What I do want to do is tell you some things that I believe He does for each and every one of us. Things that help us wake up in the morning and live another day. Now this is a huge topic and I could speak till midnight and people could be falling out of the windows and still not cover this, but I want to come back and see you so I can't speak till midnight. But for the next 23 minutes, that's what Jake told me, right? I want to give you four things that I believe with all of my heart the Holy Spirit does for every baptized believer. And, and these things are rooted in the Word of God. If you're a note taker, here's the first thing that I believe He does for each and every one of us. Number one, He grieves. He grieves. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I don't know about you, but this proves to me one thing. This proves to me that the Holy Spirit is more than just Scripture. Because you cannot grieve something or someone who doesn't have emotions. Can you grieve your house? No. Can you grieve your car? Can you grieve your office? Can you grieve your school? You can't do that because they're just physical structures without emotional feelings. But you can grieve the people who live in your house. And you can grieve the people who ride in your car. And you can grieve your co-workers and fellow students because they're people. They have emotions. The Holy Spirit is no different. He is a supernatural being with emotions. And Paul says, do not grieve Him. Now the question is, is how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? And we could have a whole series just on that one question. Some things that immediately come to mind when we don't live a Christian life. When we are baptized believers, God's Spirit is living in us. But when we don't walk in accordance with His truth, we grieve the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. One thing that people always want to know, how do you know if someone's really living a spiritual life? How do you know if someone's really involved with the Holy Spirit and that He is involved with them? Paul gives us a really easy litmus test that we miss. He says, they're going to be loving. And they're going to be joyful. And they're going to be kind. They're going to be patient. They're going to be good. They're going to be gentle. They're going to be faithful. They're going to be self-controlled. 
But if you aren't kind, if you aren't good, gentle, loving, joyful, patient, self-controlled, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? If you're a jerk, if you're short-tempered, if you don't have compassion on people, I would say, yeah, you are. Another insight into how we could grieve the Holy Spirit is in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Paul's talking about all of these wonderful gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And Paul says that we all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And if a man's gift is prophesying, that means preaching. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I think Paul would say, each one of us have a gift that has come from the Holy Spirit. And if all we do is sit on a pew and warm the bench and don't serve, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If we don't build up the church, because your gifts come from Him. But if you're using your gift, if you're living a Christian life, if you're loving and joyful and patient and kind and good, He doesn't grieve. He rejoices in the way that you live. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, He doesn't just grieve, but He guarantees he guarantees, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul says, Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. He guarantees, just like He grieves. So how does he guarantee? Well, Paul gives us two ways right here in this one text. First of all, he's a seal. We know what seals are. We know what seals do. On the floor of the Oval Office of the President of the United States is the famous presidential seal. On the side of Air Force One is the presidential seal. What does that seal say? This office, this president, this plane, they all go together. This is property of the presidency of the United States. We have a seal in Wichita Falls that's on all of my bills that come from the city. You have a seal, I'm sure, from the city of Abilene. I went to Harding University. On both of my diplomas, there's a big seal embedded into the paper. And that diploma says, you were property of this institution. And this institution gave you this degree. So if God guarantees through the Holy Spirit, through a seal, what is God doing? If you have that seal... God is guaranteeing that you belong to Him. You're His property. You don't belong to anyone else. You belong to Him. And the Holy Spirit 
guarantees that through a seal. Paul says, secondly, right there in that text, he guarantees through a deposit. The Holy Spirit is also a deposit, just like he's a seal. We know what deposits do, what they're for. You want to buy a house or buy a car, you go down to the bank, you get a loan, and what does the banker tell you you need to do? Need a down payment. I need a deposit. I need to know that you're in this thing, that you're not going to back out. Back on Super Bowl Sunday, there were a bunch of guys coming over to my house after church Sunday evening to watch the game, and we all like to eat uh, jalapeno poppers. Y'all ever had those? You know, you wrap the bacon, put cream cheese in it. None of us wanted to make that many because it makes our fingers burn, but there was a place in town that makes them. And so I called them. I said, I need to put in an order for these jalapeno poppers. They said, okay, how many do you need? I said, 200. <laughs> they said, what? I said, yeah, there's about 20 of us. That's 10, 200. I said, okay. And they called me back on Sunday afternoon. They said, uh, sir, would you mind coming by and giving us a deposit? I said, for jalapeno poppers? I've never given a deposit for jalapeno poppers. Done it for a house. Done it for a car. I said, well, we just we don't want to make all of these and, and, and then just be left with them at the end of the night. We need to know that you're really going to come get these. So I said, sure. I wrote, drove over there and handed them 50 bucks. They said, that's enough. We know that you're invested now. Isn't it great to know that tonight in your life, God has made a deposit if you're a Christian. He has given you His Holy Spirit. And what He's telling you is, I'm invested. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going anywhere. I have purchased you. I have claimed you. And I'm not giving up on you. Because my Holy Spirit guarantees that I'm going to be there. If you're taking notes, number three, the third thing he does, not only does he grieve, not only does he guarantee, but he also testifies. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What happens in a court of law when someone is called to testify? They're supposed to get up on the stand and under oath, they're supposed to talk about something that they have seen or something that they have touched or something that they have experienced. If that witness ever says, I heard someone say, either the judge or opposing counsel will say, objection. This is not admissible in court. That's hearsay. We don't care about what you heard. What we care about is what you've seen, what you've touched, what you've tasted, what you've experienced. And if you haven't seen anything or touched anything or experienced something, you're not a good witness. Paul says that the Spirit Himself testifies that we are God's children. How can He be a good witness? Because He lives in you. And He lives in me. And He sees what we do. 
And he experiences what we experience. And he feels what we feel. And so he can communicate to God. And he can say, yeah. I know Jacob. I know his heart. I know his thoughts. I know his worries. I know his fears. I know his faults. Because I'm there with him. And I can testify that even in the mess, he's still a child of God. What a blessing that we have someone who will testify like that in our defense. But the last thing that I want to mention, I said he grieves, he guarantees, he testifies. But here's my favorite one. He intercedes. He intercedes. Romans chapter 8 is one of the best chapters in the Bible. And Paul says in the 26th verse of that chapter that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we do not know what we ought to pray for. We don't know. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Have you ever been in a position where you did not know what you were supposed to pray for? You knew that you needed to pray and you knew that you wanted to pray, but you didn't have the words to leave your mouth. That's not just you. People have always been that way. Even the apostles were that way. The apostles asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because we're not very good at it. And the longer we live and the more that we experience, the more that we begin to understand that there are probably more times in life that we don't know what to pray for or don't know how to pray than when we do. Ministers see that a lot. There are some situations where you do, know, you do not know what to say and to pretend like you do and to even try will do years of damage. What do you say when you walk into a house because someone has just taken their life and committed suicide and the family is there in shock? What do you say in that moment? What do you say when you're in the hospital room and that monitor goes flat? And you realize that the soul has just left the body and the family's grieving. What do you say in that moment? One of the worst times 
in life is when you go to the hospital because this young couple has been waiting for their baby to arrive for nine months and maybe it took years for them to be able to conceive. And there are balloons in the foyer and there are chocolate cigars and there are streamers and there are stuffed animals and the mom is laying there in the hospital bed with this precious baby who has died. No one knew it was coming. What do you say in that moment? You don't know what to say. And so you don't even try. It took me several years to learn it. But I tell you what I do. I hold the hands of the family And I say, I don't know what to say right now. And nothing I say will help you. But the Holy Spirit does. And so we're going to let him do the talking for us. And we bow our heads and we pray And I stumble through a few words, but I tell that family, someone much more powerful and much more eloquent and much more spiritual than me is going to go on your behalf to the Father, and the Father is going to hear every single word. And the Father is going to act. And Paul tells us in that chapter why we can do that. If you look what he says in verse 15, he says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, that's the Holy Spirit, you can cry out, Abba, Father. I know you've heard this in lessons before. That word, Abba, is a very intimate word. It's kind of where we get our English word for daddy. And I'm not saying you need to pray to God and call him daddy. I I personally can't do that. I feel like it crosses a line of reverence a little bit. But I'm doing it in my heart. In that moment, God is not just the creator of the world and he's not just a judge. He is a kind, gentle father. That I would come home and see from school and hop up into his lap and put my arms around his neck and say, I've got a lot of problems in my life. And what's so special about this is that even when our attitudes aren't right, even when we're selfish, somehow the Holy Spirit, He corrects that. And when He intercedes on our behalf to God, He makes it right. If you have a smartphone tonight, you know that you have an option on your smartphone. When you text message someone, it's called autocorrect. That autocorrect is often auto wrong. (laughs) You ever notice that? It just changes it for you. And you say, no, no, that's not what I was trying to say. A couple years ago, I was texting one of my elders because I had preached on something he had asked me to preach on and I didn't know if he was out of town that day and so I texted him Monday morning and I was trying to text him, did you hear the sermon yesterday? But autocorrect came in to help me and it texted to one of my elders, did you hear the demon yesterday? (laughs) 
And he sent me back four question marks, and I was like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. He's trying to say, did you hear the sermon yesterday? We have three boys, and our youngest is, is two now. And so he's beginning to talk more and more, but obviously in the first couple of years of his life, he wasn't saying a whole lot, but my wife knew exactly what he was saying. I don't speak two-year-old. She does. I would come home and he would be grunting at me, <clears throat> making these noises. I'd be, honey, what do you need? What do you need? <clears throat> and she from the other room would say, he wants blueberries. <laughs> Where did you get blueberries out of that? It's because she speaks his language. The Holy Spirit speaks God's language. And when we get it wrong, He makes it right. Look what Paul says in verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's why we know it's always right. Because He prays in accordance with God's will. Will. I've prayed a lot of prayers in my life that have nothing to do with God's will. I don't know how many of you are Texas Rangers fans. Hopefully all of you if you love Jesus. <laughs> but I tell you, in 2011, when we were in the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals and it was coming down to that final game, you know, we were so close. We were one strike away, twice, twice. And I was down on the floor praying, rocking back and forth, doing whatever I could do to get the Rangers to win. We didn't win. Is that because God's a St. Louis Cardinals fan? I sure hope not. It's because God doesn't care about baseball. And at the end of the day, God really doesn't care about your career. And God's not overly concerned about what's happening in this world. What God is most concerned about are His people, His church, His kingdom. And so He sent us His Spirit who intercedes for us by the will of God. And we know that God hears every single word. Even when we don't know what to say. I don't know if you've been given a special heirloom from one of your parents or grandparents who have now passed. My great-grandmother died when I was two, so I don't remember her at all. But my dad gave me her small, baby blue New Testament pocket Bible. That's all that I have for my great-grandmother, but I still have it. And I still cherish it. And maybe you have something like that. Maybe you have a picture or a letter or a necktie or a pen or a note. Those things are really special. But do those things bring back your loved one? No. They're just things.
But when Jesus left this earth, Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm going to give you more than just a picture. I'm going to give you more than just a memory. Jesus even said, I'm going to give you more than just a book. I'm going to give you me. And I'm going to live in your life. And I'm going to dwell in your life. And I'm going to grieve when you do the wrong thing. But I'm going to guarantee that you're a child of God. I'm going to testify to that fact in the presence of the Father. And I'm going to always intercede for you in prayer. And maybe tonight you need that wonderful spirit in your life. If you have not given your life to Jesus in the waters of baptism, you may be a great person, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. But God has made it possible to have this wonderful gift with just one decision, to die to yourself, to be raised to walk in newness of life, to let His blood forgive you of every imperfection and to give you the strength through the Holy Spirit to face every single day. And if you need to make that choice tonight, if you need prayers of this good church, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.